Second Corinthians chapter 12, 11 through uh, 21. We've been working our way through Second Corinthians. We'll look at Second Corinthians 12, 11 through 21. Paul says this, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If you love more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you, though any of those whom I, or any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come I might find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again my God may humble me before you, And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for this morning. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the freedom that we have just to gather freely and to worship you. Lord, just thanks for your grace. Thanks for your faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would just open our hearts, open our minds. Holy Spirit, I pray that you remove distractions, that you would just speak to us through your word. Lord, encourage those who are physically suffering. Lord, just give them grace. Lord, strengthen those who need just emotionally, spiritually. Just give them your grace. And God, just guide us and teach us and help us. And thanks for all you've done for us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It is the 4th of July. We love and talk about freedom. And when we think of our freedoms, it it is not always, freedom is not the celebration always, the picture that we should look at. It should often be looked at as at at the cost of just after a long battle that got to freedom, the fog, the smoke, the wounds, the weary soldiers coming out, the the service that it cost to give people that freedom, that people were willing to lay down their life for others. When I was in college, I having a summer, I worked over at the Sandwich Manor doing maintenance. Um, and one day, we had we'd go when someone moved out, we'd come in, we had to remove all the carpet, clean things up paint the whole place. 
And I was in there one morning uh, working by myself. I had a radio on. I was listening to some Christian radio. I listened to, I think it was a, a sermon being preached. Or I know it was a sermon being preached. And I had it turned on, working away, doing my thing. And then this other crew was going to come in to uh, re- replace um, some of the kitchen cabinets and things. And it was just me on the ground working. And all of a sudden, uh, this other college kid comes in. Um, big guy. Looked really cool, and I'm sitting on the ground listening to a sermon. And my first thought was, Oh, I didn't get to escape and turn the radio off to something different for a moment. That was my first reaction. And I just left it on, so I'm working. He's working in the kitchen, I'm in the living room working on something. And I thought, I'm just going to leave it. And a few minutes later, he comes in, starts talking to me. He was a senior down, I think, at Illinois or Southern Illinois University. And he's talking to me some more. And then finally he says, are you a Christian? I said, yes. And he goes, that's cool. He goes, I'm not a Christian. I've been checking out religions. But if I was to become a Christian, if I was to choose a religion, he said, I would become a Christian. Because Christianity is all about serving others and selflessness. And he walked out of the room, and I thought, wow. I've always wondered about that guy. I don't know if he ever did become a Christian. Did he go back to school and get the idea drowned out of him? Or maybe did he go back to school and accept Christ, get really excited about serving God, get active in his church, serve God, maybe spending, maybe this morning he's someplace serving God, actively involved in his church, loving Jesus. Or maybe did he become a Christian and believe that serving others is what Christianity was about, start serving others, getting involved, and then he got with some Christians. And maybe he thought, they, he found out, no, you don't really have to serve Jesus to be a Christian. And maybe he just is sitting somewhere in a pew Maybe this morning, doing nothing. Christianity is about service. Galatians chapter 5 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The outworking of Christianity, of our faith, is service. And freedom, it says in Galatians, is what feeds our ability to serve. So what does that look like in the Christian life? And what does it look like in the life of a church? I mean, at the core of Christianity is not safety, but service. I mean, service is the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of Christians. Is that your heart? Our culture has a consumer Christianity that says, what, what can I get out of it instead of what can I give to it? It's become predominant in our culture. And we need the constant reminder that our freedom in Christ calls us to serve. Paul 
the apostle's life and his teaching. But this is what he this is what he pushed in Second Corinthians. This is what he's been demonstrating. In this passage, he gives us a picture of these windows of what it is, what it means to live that out as a Christian to serve. We need the windows, or maybe they could even be mirrors for us, but, but they are windows for us to see what does it look like in the life of a Christian to live it out to serve. And he's got four windows for us. The first window picture that we get from Paul is that it's a just there's to serve Christ, there's a picture, there's a weariness. To it. He, he, he has been dealing with this church all along. This is his third letter. We've been looking at this for a couple weeks. This is his long uh, speech on how he's had to be a fool to these false apostles, these false teachers. It's, it's been a marathon. When you come to this passage, he, he's, at the end he says, I, I, I've been a fool. You forced me to it. He, he talks about fear that he has. He has been writing this letter to this church, and he's come to this point, and, he, and he's come to this point in the sense there's an there's a attitude and a tone of a guy who's just been in, almost in a spiritual marathon. He's at mile 18 and 19, and he's exhausted. He's been dealing with all these issues, and he says, I, I've been a fool. You forced me to it. There is a sense of weariness in his serving with this, this church and these people. They, they, have, they have these people that he led to Christ, that he led in the church. These false teachers have come in. They, they had said all kinds of lies about him. They didn't like how he handled money issues. They didn't like how he spoke. They, they didn't, the church had all kinds of issues. And for 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with all these issues in this messy church and just serving them. And then this group came in and said, Paul's not an apostle. And Paul had to defend himself with his boast. And he says, I'm not going to boast in what I can do, but he said, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. And he's trying to wrap it up, but there is this tone of weariness that has in him. There's these fears. He, he's coming to them soon. And what, what causes the weariness for Paul? It's these unmet expectations. He says to them, they, 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 these other false apostles had all these signs and miraculous events. And he says in verse 12, the signs of true apostles were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and with mighty works. They had these expectations like, these guys are doing stuff, Paul. You're not doing anything. And Paul says, no, the works of, the, of, the works of an apostle were done among you. Just look at your lives. Look how you've come to Christ. Look at your faith. That's a miracle. That's a work of God that's been done in you. And so they had all these expectations that you should be doing it this way. And Paul's like, no, those were done in you. And they had all these undercover agendas, things that they wanted in verse 13. says, For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. He's very sarcastic. He's like, he wasn't going to change from what he was called to do. D.A. Carson said about this with this church, they could display a remarkable ability to misunderstand and distort all that he, all that he is in his writings and especially to twist his motives. And there was this weariness in his serving. 
But Paul said, I'm just going to keep persevering in this. There was an, also an unceasing perseverance. He says, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not burden you, for I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not under obligation to serve their parents. Paul had a fatherly love for this church. And after all the efforts of 1 Corinthians, after all the struggles of 2 Corinthians, he says, okay, I'm going to keep persevering. I'm not done. I'm going to come one more time. I'm getting ready to come. When you serve, there, there's a sense of weariness there's a, that comes with serving God and serving others. Is that true of you? Have you felt that in a while? Where you're like, I, I know God's called to do this, but the, the weird, I, I, I'm just, but there's just, you, you aren't serving to the point where there's a sense of weariness to it. Paul felt that. There was a sense of weariness in him as he went, but he just continued. Galatians 6 says about that, just continuing in the faith, just continuing in the service. He came to this church, he preached to them, he, he was working with them, but that's service of God. He said, this, I'm doing this for your souls. There's a picture of weariness that comes with serving. And there's a secondly, a picture of just a peacemaker. He says in verses 15 through 19, I will most gladly be spent and spent for your souls. If you love more, am I loved less? Here's the third time he's come to them. And he's, he says, I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm going to come to you not out of obligation. I'm coming to you for your souls. I mean, humanly speaking, what did Paul have to look forward to when he went to this situation? They hadn't listened to him yet. He's had to write them multiple times. Humanly speaking, what Paul expected, even as he's talked about these fears that he had, what, what he had to expect was more attacks. What he had humanly to ex expect was someone had another uh, hidden agenda for him. And what he had to expect was some awkward moments with this church, and he knew it. And he said that there was fears about that, but, but he came anyway. And he says, I'm going to come, and I'm not coming for any other to bring you a burden, but we are seeking your souls. I will most gladly be spent and be spent for your souls. This is what a peacemaker does. He just doesn't keep peace. But a peacemaker is willing to risk being hurt to bring people to peace and together to God. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Paul was willing to walk into that situation again through all his weariness, all the shipwrecks, all the beatings. And he says, I'm going to keep working for peace. I'm going to try to restore this church. I'm going to try to rebuild people back up, point them back to God for their souls, because this matters. It matters for more than just 40 years or 50 years. It matters for eternity. He had an absolute eternal perspective. 
But how do you get this desire to, to, to serve in a way that there's weariness to it, but walking into situations where there's called to be a peacemaker? It comes by faith. It comes by seeing Jesus. It comes by seeing Christ and the cross. What Christ did for us then compels us to be peacemakers and to see what it costs Christ to bring us to himself, what it costs Christ to make peace with God for us. And as we look, have that faith, as we the desire to be those peacemakers. Jack Miller said about being a peacemaker, here, here's, here's what would be true. A peacemaker, he says, keeps a tight rein on his tongue. A peacemaker is friendly and approachable. He, he asks for forgiveness. He does good to his enemies and he prays for them. He speaks to them the truth to them in love. This is all the things that Paul was accomplishing. And then he says it's a, there's, there's a weariness to serving God. There's an importance of being peacemakers, not just peacekeepers in serving God. And there's this picture of service. He says all of this is for your building up. Everything that Paul did was for the building up of the church. He said we most gladly will be spent and spent for your souls. He's going to give his life for this. And there was a cost to it. But where, where do you get that kind of passion? Where do you get that kind of passion to say, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give my life for this? Soldiers get it out of love for their country or out of love for duty. But where, where do Christians get this passion and this drive? To say, I will spend my life for people's souls. It's looking at Jesus. It's looking to Jesus. And it's looking on Jesus. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for his brothers. C.T. Studd was a missionary in the 1800s, and he died in the 1930s. He was... He was the Tim Tebow of his day when it came to cricket. I mean, he was a phenomenal cricket player, great success, all these awards. And then his brother went through some issues, and he, he came back. He walked away from his faith, and then he came back to faith. And then he heard this statement, and it drove the rest of his life. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And he gave up all his cricket career, all the success, all the fame, and he spent his life in China, in India, in Africa, and he never got over that. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That is a challenge to believe, isn't it? It's a challenge for me to believe, it's a challenge for me to practice. But this is the picture of service. This was Paul said, I'm going to be spent for your souls. Because he knew Jesus Christ was God. And he had died for him. And there was no sacrifice too great for him to make for him. Ken Hughes says, love the church, serve her. Spend and be spent. Seek souls, and your heart will know an index of fears unknown of the uncommitted heart. But you will also know joys 
that are unknown to the serving self. This is the picture of service. Because you just don't know whose life you're serving and whose life will be changed. Just think of all the people in your life who, who, who through the years of saying, you know, I'm going to be weary. I'll show up and serve them. I'll, I'll, I'll work in kid zone. I talked to a, one of the moms who helped at VBS after the VBS this past week, and I said, thanks for helping. And she said, you know, I thought if I don't help, there might not be VBS for my kids. And I said, yes, you're right. That's the way it is. There's a weariness to it. And then there's work to it. And there's peacemaking to it. And there's a gratitude to it because you don't know whose life will be impacted. It's also a good time to just pause in the 4th of July as we celebrate our country and think of our own lives of service and all the people who have served us, but even those who have served you spiritually. Take a moment of gratitude. Think back. Who in points of your life had they said, you know what, I'm just too weary. I'm not going to show up for it anymore. I'm just too, it's just too much struggle. I just don't want to serve anymore. Somebody else. And you would maybe not have had that moment. For me, I was thinking this morning, it was Ed and Janine Thorson. We had a little church at Grace Baptist Church in Morris, Illinois. When I was about five and six, they teach Sunday school. And both of them are my Sunday school teacher. And Janine Thorson taught me this song, God's love is like a circle, a circle big and strong. And when you see a circle, no ending can be found. I was five years old when I heard that. And that song and that thought has sustained me over and over in my life. And then Ed Thorson taught me in third and fourth grade Sunday school class. And every class, he'd teach a lesson he had a big map of the Bible on the wall, or a big map of the world. And somehow, for some reason, we'd end up looking at the map, and he'd talk about there's missionaries over here, and there's missionaries over here, and there's missionaries over here. No matter what the topic was, he had such a heart for missions that he'd point to it and point to it and point to it, which gave me a heart for missions. But what if he would have said, oh, I'm just too weary I'm just too, too much time, too much service. There's a picture of service. Paul said he was spent and spent for his souls. If you know of someone in your life that way, think about them. Share them. Give some gratitude to them. And, and lastly, the picture that Paul paints of service is this picture of purity. He's getting ready to come back to the church he goes, have you been thinking all along that I've been defending myself in the sight of God? It's for your upbuilding. Because I had a fear that when I come, things aren't going to be quite correct. And he's had a fear of a potential picture that he's going to see. He's afraid there's going to be some issues when he comes. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I might find you not as I wish. And that you may find me not as you wish. There may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And he says, I fear it. When I come, then I'm going to have to be more aggressive with you when I talk to you. And then he says, I also fear that there's going to be impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality that they have practiced that hasn't been repented of. That's what his fear was. Not getting along 
is the one group, and not turning from sexual sin is the second list of things that he says. Two very similar pictures of our struggle today. What has hurt the cause of Christ and the gospel and in the culture is Christians not getting along and not turning from sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 talks about, Or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexual immorality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Paul knew who he was and where he came from and how his life was transformed and he called other people. He called this church at Corinth to be transformed and he called them and he said, you can get along. He called them from sexual sin and from things that were going to destroy them. We have just spent the last few weeks with technicolor pictures all over us constantly telling us that it's okay to follow practices that will keep people from the kingdom of God. And we say that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. But in the church, how's your purity? How is what you're looking at leading you to love Jesus more? This is the picture that Paul gives of service. It's a picture of weariness. It's a picture of peacemaking. It's a picture of service. And it's a picture of purity. But ultimately, he's pointing them all to the greater picture of the gospel, that Jesus came, that he loved this group of people so much that he met Paul on the road to Damascus. He woke him up to the gospel, and he said, share this truth, that you have been great, given great mercy. What's your heart for serving? Have you served enough till there's even a weariness? Have you served enough to say there's a need for me to be a peacemaker, that I will serve? I'll look at my life and see what Jesus has called me to. I need to adjust my purity. Paul says this, My God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity. Paul knew that he needed to call the church to that so they could be humbled and he might have to be humbled. But ultimately, we are humbled by what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. On this day of freedom for our country, which is filled with service, we are called as Christians to look again at the cross, see what Jesus did, see his service, see what he gave up, and humble ourselves and continue to walk in faith and grace.